Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning, and it is uh, with great joy this morning that we've gathered around, and we've got uh, a special guest with us uh, this morning. And last year, uh, about this time, wasn't it? Uh, August or September of last year, uh, we had the Jones family here in the evening service, and uh, I was so impressed with them as a family, as a ministry, and what God is doing through them that when uh, Keith reached out to me this summer, I said, absolutely, we want everybody to get to know uh, them as a family and, and their ministry that is going on. Uh, the Jones family serves in Milan, Italy. And if you know anything about Italy as a country, you know, especially from an evangelical world, it is a very difficult place uh, for the church today. Uh, but the Lord is doing great things in Milan, and we are very excited uh, to see what the Lord is doing through Veritas Church there. And that is through the ministry and the direction of Keith Jones and his family. And so we are very excited uh, to begin this relationship with them. And one of the great joys I have serving on missions board is, boards is I get to uh, rub shoulders with great missionaries. And this morning you have an opportunity to do the same. Uh, to rub shoulders with a great missionary, one who's faithfully serving the Lord. He's with IBM, his family, and he is with IBM Global and uh, serving the Lord faithfully there. Uh, there's going to be some things that you'll need to do after the service this morning. Make sure you go back. Uh, there's an updated. So you say, well, I got a prayer card. No, 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 no. These are updated, brand new and improved. <laughs> and so uh, make sure you get one of the prayer cards off the table in the foyer. There's also another pamphlet there. Sign up if you have not already. Uh, for their uh, prayer uh, uh, information sheet, the, the information that they send out to you each week, and so you sign up for their prayer list and so forth. Make sure that you're a part of that as well. But it's uh, my great joy and privilege uh, to have you get to know this family. Keith, in just a few minutes, is going to open up the Word of God with us. We're going to be studying the book of Jonah, and so if you want to be turning there, uh, this this morning as well, but in the meantime, get to know them a little bit through their video. I'll go ahead and we'll air that.
sono qui con te Tu vinci per me Le mie battaglie Proprio quando sono qui con te Tu vinci per me Le mie infermità In te Dio io trovo la forza perché Cristo ha donato il suo sangue in te Dio io trovo la forza per non gettare la spugna Good morning, Byron Center Bible Church. It's great to be here. I uh, can't uh, say thank you enough to Pastor Chad for that uh, very kind welcome and very kind words. And uh, I've really got, uh, enjoyed getting to know Pastor Chad uh, this uh, past year, really. And I look forward to uh, getting to know, um, I was going to say each and every one of you, but there's a lot of you, so hopefully uh, a good number of you uh, in this uh, day that I'll be here. Um, as Pastor Chad said, please do pass by the table and, uh, and uh, uh, chat with me and um, get to know a little bit about the ministry that uh, the Lord has called us to. I um, can't wait to open the word with you in just a minute, but uh, just a, a few words about, uh, about me and about uh, uh, our family. Um, I wish that uh, the whole family could be here today. Uh, Debbie, uh, Chiara, and Sophia are still over in Europe. They're in Milan. I do have my son Luca with me, though, today, and uh, he's my 18-year-old that, uh, um, that is traveling with me, and um, I'm really glad that uh, he's, uh, he's accompanied me on uh, this trip. And we uh, live and serve the Lord in Milan, Italy. How many of you have been to Italy? 
Okay, a good number of you and uh, the rest of you have an open invitation to come and uh, visit us. Milan, Italy is, uh, it's, as Pastor Chad said, it's a tough nut to crack as far as missions, evangelism. Uh, in all of Italy, less than 1% of Italians um, would profess uh, faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is a really, really small number. And God is at work in our ministry. And I um, always want to say this the right way. No one's more surprised than I am about how the Lord has worked. He has planted a church. He has had a church flourish, Veritas Evangelical Church. And we are able to witness uh, some very unique things in Veritas Church for the country of Italy. It's unusual for there to be so many young families um, where we've had weddings one after the other of uh, people in our church. It's unusual for the church to be as, as big as it is. It's uh, about a, a 120 people on a given Sunday. That's a very unusual thing for uh, a church in, in Italy. And so we're very excited about what God is doing. And uh, we thank you for your prayers and for your interest in, uh, in what the Lord is doing in a country that is just so close to our hearts, um, uh, Italy and the city of Milan. Please do be in prayer for uh, our project. We, have a, uh, we are involved in a, a building project at the moment. I wish I had more time to share with you the incredible journey that this last year has been in uh, the Lord providing us with a new building. Um, but it's not the uh, time maybe right now to go into that. But we need to refurbish it now. So we would appreciate your prayers for this need that uh, is, still, uh, is still in front of us. Um, another prayer request is my fellow elder Paolo. Next year he will be traveling with me in, uh, in Grand Rapids. We're coming to Grand Rapids, the Denuncios and the Joneses. Please sign up to receive his prayer letter. It's back there at the table. And that way you can see uh, what his ministry is. Uh, as we are hoping and praying that he will be able to be the pastor of Veritas Church. And in that way release Debbie and me um, to be able to be involved with uh, new church plants in the spiritual wilderness. That is Milan, Lombardia, and, uh, and Italy in general. So thank you so much for uh, your interest and for following us as we uh, seek to be faithful to the Lord in uh, the place he's called us to. If you'd like to open your Bibles now to the book of Jonah, um, I'd like to consider this uh, message that the Lord has laid on my heart, the book of Jonah. And I'd like to introduce uh, what I'd like to say about this passage, talking about my experience of what now is many years ago. Um, am I the only one that's getting old? And um, I'd like to share with you a day in which I was experiencing a very strong conflict in my soul. God had been working in my heart for some years, but I remember on this particular day, my resistance to that work of God was especially, was especially high. And uh, this day that I'm bringing to your attention, I was in Switzerland um, I, had, uh, I was studying hotel management at the time. This was around 2001. 
And I was in Switzerland, and I had made a decision many years ago that whatever happened in my life, there's one thing I would never do. Can you fill in the phrase? I would never be a missionary. I grew up in Spain, grew up in Madrid. My parents were missionaries. My dad is still over there. And um, I saw from the earliest days of my childhood what a life serving Christ in a foreign field looks like. My parents were great missionaries. Um, They were there. My mom just passed away, but for 50 years, they've served the Lord in Spain. And they were faithful. They were committed. They loved the people of Spain. They planted a church. The church grew. The church I grew up in uh, saw many people discipled. And I watched my parents as they carried out their missionary calling, evangelism, discipleship, leadership, training, etc. But the Spanish people weren't very responsive. And the truth is they weren't always very nice either. Now, if you'd met my parents, they're the nicest kindest people to ever meet. And I remember one time my mom invited the neighbor over and she was, you know, pretty green and, uh, and she cooked this American meal and our neighbor friend said, ugh, what is this? This is gross. And, uh, you know, those things kind of stick with you when you're a kid. So anyway, I said, no way. <laughs> I'm not ever gonna do that. Um, but on this day in Switzerland, I remember God clearly working on my heart, and I was in the mountains, looking over the beauty of the Swiss Alps, and I remember thinking these words, who in the world am I to say no to God? Who in the world am I to say no to God? It was 2001, and that was the day when God called me in to missions, a call which he's confirmed for 17 years now. 17 years, but... I remember that conflict. It was intense. God calling me to serve him, and I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. And so I know well about the intense conflict that many of us can experience. I say all this to bring our attention to the character and the situation that I would like for us to consider in the story of Jonah. You see, I can identify with this man, Jonah. I can identify with his conflict, and I can identify with this uh, identification that I'm giving of a reluctant servant, a reluctant missionary. When God calls him to take the gospel to the people of Nineveh, is he jumping at the opportunity? Is he chomping at the bit to go and bring the gospel? No. Not by a long shot. But what I love about the story of Jonah, dear friends, is what comes out with regards to God's eagerness. God's eagerness for the salvation of the nations. And this eagerness outweighs Jonah's reluctance. And so as we meditate on God's eagerness to save the lost, I really believe that we too will be influenced. It'll be contagious for us as well as we consider our duty to carry out the work the Lord has given to us. So that's the topic of my message. 
The story of Jonah is my story. I'm not sure if it's your story. Maybe it is on some days more than others. But I hope that as we see God's eagerness triumphing over Jonah's reluctance, we will be encouraged in our call to reach the nations for Christ. So my sermon title is Reluctant Servants and an Eager God, Missionary Lessons from the Book of Jonah. And I just want to make three simple points this morning from the story of Jonah. Number one, Jonah's reluctance to take the gospel to the nations. Number two, God's eagerness is greater than man's reluctance. And then I want us to consider in the last part of my message an unexpected ending. An unexpected ending. Um, We know the story of Jonah. I'll just uh, go over some of the highlights with you all. Um, It's the story of this man called Jonah, whom God calls to take the gospel to Nineveh. If you want to look down in your Bibles, just at the beginning of the book here, at the beginning of chapter 1, here it is. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. So that's how the story starts. And we all have done our Bible study on the situation of Nineveh. What does Nineveh represent? It represents everything that Jonah hates. (laughs) Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, this powerful, evil nation. It's characterized by everything that would make a Christian shudder. Think of their worship to demons. And uh, think of their political corruption. Think of the sexual aberrations that were present in this city and in this empire. So what does Jonah do? He gets on a boat. He goes in the opposite direction. Nineveh is southeast from where he's living in Israel, the northern kingdom, and he goes to Tarshish, which is west. I'm thinking Spain, where I grew up. And what do we see from this? We see that he's a man on the run. He's a man that's captivated by the attitude, I don't want to do it. I don't want to go to those people. And we know that then there's a big storm. And after Jonah stalls for a little bit, he tells the people that God has brought the storm on because of him and because of his uh, disobedience. So they throw him into the sea. And what happens next? There's a big fish that comes and swallows Jonah. And it's inside of the belly of the fish that he has a moment of clarity. It's not the moment in which he goes from being a reluctant missionary to an eager one. But it does lead him to a more profound understanding of the character of God. He gets out of the fish and God calls Jonah a second time. And this time, Jonah actually goes. He preaches the gospel of repentance and the people believe in God. They're so touched that they have even their cattle put on sackcloth and ashes as a broad and universal expression of their repentance. But Jonah isn't happy, even in this instance, is he? The old reluctance shows up again. He doesn't want mercy for Nineveh. He wants justice. So he goes out and pouts under the plant. God had caused to grow him shade, and then he's happy. Then the plant dies, and he's mad. He wants to die. And God uses that experience to teach him an important lesson Jonah, you have pity for the plant, but you think I'm wrong to have pity for the Ninevites. And that's how the story ends. And we'll see that even in this ending, there is a great lesson for us this morning. 
Well, let's start with our first point, Jonah's reluctance to take the gospel to the nations, to these pagans. And I think the reluctance that we see in Jonah challenges us, at least it challenges me, to consider my reluctance on many levels, but maybe I could think specifically of my reluctance many times to carry out a very clear call in the Bible. Jonah's reluctance challenges our reluctance of following the call placed on the church and on each of us to be involved in bringing the gospel to the lost nations of the world. And as I think and talk about the reluctance that we might find in our hearts, I want to make sure to not give the wrong impression because Byron Center Bible Church loves missions, don't you? You're inspired by missions. We love to hear about countries in Africa and people in Africa embracing the gospel, being organized in churches, uh, being trained up to reach their people for Christ. We love to hear about people in France and in Spain who in those secular countries are awakened to the reality of God and churches are formed in Paris, France, in Milan, Italy, in Madrid, Spain. So I don't want to give the wrong impression. We love to hear about the gospel reaching people closer to home, our neighbors, or maybe one of our co-church members' friends that we've been praying for. We love, we love that. But can I say that sometimes there's some reluctance in us as well? Are we too reluctant like Jonah? And I'd like to just bring to the surface some of the possible causes of our reluctance, why we perhaps hold back with regards to the call that is on us. Maybe, number one, we've lost sight of the call. Could that be? Um, I know it's not the case in this church. The Great Commission is trumpeted, it's proclaimed, it's lived, but maybe there's an individual in our midst or maybe there's someone among us that can look back to a time in which that call was more clear, more pronounced. Those times are maybe in the past. Um, so maybe that's a reason for our reluctance. Maybe we've lost sight of the situation. Could that be? We've lost some clarity on the fact that Lost people are truly lost and are in danger of entering a Christless eternity unless they consciously place their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of unclarity on this point in our day and age. One um, man who was in a... Uh, uh, cross-denominational, even cross-religious setting, his name Walter Bowman, Catholic Mission Secretary in Rome, said these words. He said, In the past we had the so-called motive to do missions of saving souls. We are convinced that if not made Christian, people on the masses would go to hell. Now, thanks be to God, we believe that all people and all religions are already living in the grace and love of God and will be saved by God's mercy. What do we say to that? 
we say hogwash. <laughs> that is not the truth that Jesus Christ proclaimed. That is not the message of the apostles. The apostles poured out their lives like a cup of water to take the gospel to the nations. And the early church had this distinguishing mark. Missions. They were involved with making the local church strong so that churches could be planted as an offspring of these movements of God of planting the church. Number three, sometimes we can be reluctant because of the difficulty of the task. We look at the state of the lost world around us or even our neighborhoods, maybe our workplace, and we say, what can I do? Feel paralyzed. And I know this feeling. Um, there's days in Italy when I think of all my neighbors and all the neighboring towns. No church, no gospel witness. We parachute dropped into Rozzano, a town of 50,000 people. No evangelical presence. And you wonder if there's any Christians and you feel overwhelmed. We lived in an apartment complex. We just moved last March, but we uh, lived in an apartment building of 15 families. It was, a, it was a family stacked one on top of each other. Our courtyard was surrounded by eight similar apartment buildings. And our whole apartment complex had 700 families. Not one of those families was born again. And when I got to Milan, my prayer was, Lord, give me Milan. <laughs> After a few Weeks, months, it became, Lord, give me my neighborhood. Then it became, Lord, give me my stairwell. Lord, would you give me one? So I know that sense that we all can have of feeling overwhelmed. It's hard. And we get discouraged. So we know the call, we see this situation, but we might even develop some cynicism and some unbelief. When what God is calling us is to exercise faith. Nothing is impossible with God. I'd like for us to consider our second point, God's eagerness to save the city of Nineveh. Um, these reasons that I offered may have been part of what caused Jonah to go the opposite way from his duty, but it's not the end of the story. Because throughout the story about the reluctant servant, we read about a God whose purpose won't be thwarted, even by the most reluctant of missionaries. We read twice in the story these words, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. That's the first time he said, God says it at the beginning. And then chapter 3, verse 2, we see these words again. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Twice we see these words of God to his reluctant servant, missionary. And at first, we might not connect the dots and see how the message that God gives to Jonah is is a demonstration of his strong desire to bring salvation to Nineveh. We might see it more as a pronouncement of, of judgment, but what we need to understand, and I don't need to tell you this, is that God's warning of judgment is inseparable from his offer of salvation. Amen? His pronouncement of judgment is inseparable from his offering of salvation. 
Because when God warns and when God threatens, he, just, he doesn't just say, if you continue in your path of unbelief and rebellion, you'll perish and leave it at that. He says, lost sinner, you're on the road to perdition. You will reap the consequences of your rebellion, but I have sent my son to save you from your sins. Receive him as one who takes away your sins and wipes them out. And so we understand that it's precisely in his warning of judgment that he demonstrates his availability to save, his desire to save, if only the recipients of that message will repent from their rebellion against God. And there's a very easy illustration to use to illustrate this. If there's somebody that is has a bad habit that is killing them, whether it's their diet or some other bad habit, is it loving for the doctor to say, oh, just continue in your lifestyle. There won't be any consequences. That's not loving at all. The loving thing is to say, stop it. It's killing you. You are going to reap bad consequences from this. And so this is exactly what we see when the Lord speaks these words, which are a severe mercy at the end of the day. It's a great mercy when God sends his servants to a people with a message of warning of what they will reap if they continue to sow a life of rebellion against God. But I want us to focus especially on this repeated inciting on the part of God towards his servant with the words, go, arise, uh, go with the message of judgment that will result in salvation. Because in those words, we see his eagerness to send his saving message. And we see also the heart of God, friends. We see his readiness to overcome any obstacle, even that of a reluctant servant, to work with the reluctant servant, to convict the reluctant servant in the process of his goal of reaching the lost. And as I was meditating about this, I found my heart filled with a great sense of hope. Great hope. Because what can happen so easily is that we look around and we see nothing but a mess. Disaster. We look around in our neighborhoods, in our society. We look inside of us maybe and we see the same. And we think, what a mess. <laughs> I don't have it all together. And I might think God is, he won't touch me with a 10-foot pole. I'm so messed up. But friends, nothing could be further from the truth. You see, the heart of God that comes out of this story is a heart that is for our good. His intention is loving for salvation, blessing. Look at his heart for Nineveh. Look at his heart for Jonah. And friends, that same heart of love and goodness and generosity and benevolence is for us as well if we will just receive it. If you have any doubt of God's attitude towards you, towards us, is he really good? Is, is he this ogre in the sky, this monster of the sky? How can I know that, that the God that is is the one that you're describing, Keith? It's very simple. Look at the cross of Jesus Christ. The greatest demonstration of love that could ever have been dreamed of. That is what 
the cross represents. The cross is where God demonstrates his desire to do good to man, to take away the only thing that stands between his being able to have a relationship with human sinful, uh, uh, humankind. He, on the cross, takes that away so that then he is able to pour out nothing but goodness and blessing upon sinners like you and me. And I want to put this out there for anyone who might be sitting here this morning who has never appropriated those benefits that God has put at anyone's disposition if they will simply receive it. The forgiveness of sins, the taking away of the cause of enmity between a holy God and a sinner. And I want to invite you. Would you believe this morning in the finished work of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and enter into the heart of God, the the blessing that God has in mind demonstrated by his goodness on the cross? A few minutes on the last point, an unexpected ending. I want to make one last comment on the ending of the story of a reluctant servant and an eager God. You remember how it ends? It ends with Jonah pouting after his plant has been eaten by a worm. And I'd like to read these verses here at the end. I know I'm kind of dropping into the middle of this last part, but it'll help us to get get an idea of how the story ends. Verse 8 of chapter 4 in Jonah When the sun arose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry with the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. I'm so like Jonah. (laughs) And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. And friends, that's how it ends. Not much of an ending, is it? (laughs) Unresolved conflict or tension as some would say. We would say uh, the story leaves some things unresolved. We have a lot of questions, don't we? I do. Did Jonah feel his conscience pricked? Did he return to the city? Did he see things God's way and say, it's true, Lord, how could I have had so little compassion for these thousands that don't know the first thing about you? That's what the phrase, don't know their right hand from their left, means. I'd like to propose this thought to you here in our conclusion. The reason the story doesn't have an ending, brothers and sisters, is I believe because the story is still being written. The author doesn't tell us if Jonah returned to Nineveh because the real question is a different one. The real question is, will I return to Nineveh? The question is, Will I have eyes for the 120,000 
millions pagans that don't know the first thing about Christ. Will we go to our nation? Will we go to other nations with the answer to their unacknowledged or maybe acknowledged question? They don't know their right hand from their left. Brothers and sisters, may we truly accept the challenge of taking the gospel to a lost and dying world. But this is very important. We don't go unaccompanied. We don't go with the spirit of independence as if it depended on us to make it work. No. We go confident in a God who has already given us the mandate to go and equipped us with the power of the gospel to go and deliver those who are in darkness. And we accept that challenge, brothers and sisters, knowing that God goes ahead and that he is eager for the salvation of the lost. Heavenly Father, thank you for the story of Jonah. Thank you for how you bring to light things in my own heart that I need to consider and deal with, bring out, confess, and let you heal. And Lord, thank you for this marvelous picture of a God who is eager who is inclined to save the lost. Lord, we want to accept the challenge to continue, in the case of Byron Center Bible Church, to start in the case of perhaps some individuals or to refresh in the case of others this uh, call that you've put on us. And Lord, we are greatly comforted by the fact that we don't go alone but that we are aligned with your heart and your attitude. And so, Lord, we ask you this, praising you in the meanwhile, in Jesus' name, amen.